right, good morning, brave family. Hey, we learned from last Sunday. Oh, yeah, it's not rhetorical. Amen, all right. Yes, um, well, if you have your Bible, you can, uh, we're going to jump around a little bit, but we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6. It's in your sermon notes, so hopefully you grab those. Uh, we're a big fan of note-taking, and, um, and so if you don't have sermon notes, lift your hand and maybe somebody, one of our serve team members will come by and, and give you one. If you don't have one, just put your hand up high and somebody can um, give you one. So we've got a lot to jump into. We're in a series on, called One Another. And today it's all about praying for one another. So we titled the message, Pray for One Another. And we're looking at these one another statements in Scripture. And I want to talk to you today about ultimately why we pray with one another. And so we're going to begin Matthew chapter 6. We're going to jump right in. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching. How many of you have ever heard of the Lord's Prayer? You've heard the Lord. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the Lord's Prayer. Good. All right. Participation is high today. This is going to be a fun day. And uh, so I want you to go into your Bible. I want you to scratch out the Lord's Prayer. You can do that. Take your pen, scratch it out. You don't have to, but you could just, I want you to know this. It's really not the Lord's Prayer. It, it really should be called the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus is teaching his disciples on how to pray and not necessarily what to say as much as how to pray. So really, it's a prayer for the disciples and for us to understand it. And so Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus is such a good prayer warrior. How many of you have ever been in a prayer circle? You heard somebody pray, or you're in a room, or you're in an environment, somebody's praying, and you thought to yourself, man, they pray so much better than me. Look at that, look at that. Golly, you know, and they pray so much better. Well, if you were around Jesus, that's exactly what the disciples felt. The disciples were like, man, Jesus, this guy's killing it. He knows what to say. He's using big words. I mean, what is that word? I don't even know what that word means. Uh, when, when he prays, you know, it's like God is moving. When I pray, it's like nothing's moving. Well, the disciples who've been praying, by the way, their whole life, I mean, these are Jewish, you know, kids and, and young people, grew up in Jewish culture, would have prayed a lot. Well, anyways, uh, they see Jesus praying. When he prayed, I mean, he was, it was, something was happening. I don't know exactly what was happening, but something was happening. And so they watch him pray, and they're like, how do you do that? I mean, you know, how many guys would have really wanted to ask people? You've heard people pray. You just didn't have the courage. And you're like, how do you do that? You know, he's like, I don't know. Like, what, do what? Just, you, how do you flow so well? And, you know, it's like you're, 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 you're thinking of all of these things. Did you pre-write that down? Because when I pray, I'm like, uh, God? Uh, you know, I don't know, you know? And so anyways, you know what I'm talking about? So this is where the disciples are. All right, so they ask Jesus, how do you, how do you pray? Matthew chapter six, verse five, Jesus says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Oh, they love standing in the synagogue. So Jesus is talking about, here's, here's how you pray, this is how you do it. And he starts off with what you don't do. He says, when you pray, do not be like hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. That's the reason they do it. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, there's an expectation there, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So there's a reward there for that. All right. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling. Don't keep on babbling stuff like pagans for they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. He says, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Write this down in your notes. We should pray in private. And I just put more than we pray in public. I want you to notice that Jesus makes this connection between praying in private, praying in public. Okay, if you go back to Matthew chapter 6, that very first slide, Matthew chapter 6, he says well, you're going to pray, but don't do it for the wrong reason. Don't, don't do it. He doesn't say like, 
don't do it in public. He just says, don't do it for these reasons in public. So what, I'm, what he pushes on is there should be a private worship before there's a public worship. A lot of times private worship should overflow into public worship. And so it's this idea of understanding that praying in private, you should be doing more than you pray in just public. If you're praying in only in public, then there's a chance that maybe you're praying for the wrong motive, which is what these people are doing. So we should pray in private more than we pray in public. Then he also makes this interesting statement right at the very end. He says, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So then the question comes, of course, that many of us have asked, then why do I pray at all? How many of you have ever prayed and just wondered, is this working? Lift your hand high. Does this matter? Why am I even doing this? You know, what's the point, right? And so if he already knows what I need, why do I go on and even ask? So I want to answer that. In fact, Jesus answers that in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. And of course, you could continue more and we could unpack this further. But I want to give you a very high level view of why. I'm going to give you three reasons why we pray. Even though he knows what we need. Why do we pray then? All right. Matthew chapter uh, 6, verse 9. Then this is how you should pray. And he starts the disciples' prayer, right? Because this is how you should pray. This isn't my prayer, right? I don't need, I, I know how to pray really well. You're asking me how to pray, so this is your prayer. Okay. So he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Come on, you know this part. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, you do it all the time before football games. You know, our Father in heaven, I'll be like, kingdom come. You know, because your kingdom coming right now in this football game is really important. And um, so your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, where am I unpacking with this? Three reasons I want to give you why, why we pray. All right? And these are just, you could add on a whole bunch of lists. These are not the three reasons. These are just three reasons. All right, number one, prayer is not where we inform God obviously, right? He already knows what you need. So what's happening? It's where God is informing us. Right there, some of you just went, whoa, I didn't think of it like that, right? So, okay, it's where he is informing me. It's not where I am informing him. And you'd be right. So prayer is where God informs us. Because he says, for thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Not my will be done, but his will be done. So when I go into prayer, I'm going to discover what? His will, not tell him just about mine. Now, that doesn't mean we can't tell him what we want, because God clearly says, present your request to me, make your request made known to God. God wants us to cast our cares on him. He tells us that in Scripture. But understanding that the purpose of it, that a really critical component to it is establishing his will. So it's not about us informing him as much as it is about him informing us. All right, number two. All right, prayer is speaking with or without words. Now, I've read a thousand different, I mean, so many definitions on prayer. So uh, I just heard this one, read this one. I think it, um, I'm forgetting where for sure it came from, so I don't want to quote it. But um, anyways, I read this prayer and I thought, I think that's it. And I kind of added a word or two to it, but it, I think it makes sense. Prayer is speaking with or without words, right? Because Paul's going to talk about Romans chapter 8, verse 6, we're going to talk about today, that you can pray with groans and moans, okay? So prayer is speaking with or without words, and listening, there's two things happening there, right, to God for the purpose of seeking and accomplishing his will. That's the best definition I could come up with, at least today. Could change that at some other point. But prayer is not just talking with God. How many of you guys have ever heard that? It's just talk with God. How many of you guys have ever heard the definition of prayer is just talking with God? Talk, talk. Raise your hand high. Come on. I, love, I can't see that. Okay. 
So, yeah, like a lot of it. And I want you to all see how, like, how this is culturally, like prayer is talking with God. Raise your hand one more time. You've heard that. Oh, yeah, prayer is talking with God. Okay, that was not true. That, that wasn't true. So that's not true because prayer is, is listening and talking. And that listening, by the way, is really, really, really important when it comes to prayer because prayer is not where we inform him. It's where he informs us. So prayer is not just talking to God. Prayer is talking and listening, and sometimes with words and sometimes without words. Scripture says that he hears our sighs. <sighs> he heard that prayer. So we look at prayer. And we say, why else we pray? And number three, we'll put it up. Prayer is where we get Prepped for our purpose. I was hoping someone would amen that one because I wrote that one. I thought, oh, that's a good one. You know, when you're preaching and you're writing stuff down, oh, they're going to applaud that. And then God humbles you really fast and nobody says a word. No, don't, don't do it now because God, just, God was just trying to remind me of something that's true. It's like, you get nothing for that one. <laughs> I thought for sure. Someone's like, ooh, that's good. It's a stinger. All right. Prayer is where we get prepped for our purpose, though. What I want you to see in all of these different why we pray, it's where, where God informs us, it's where we speak or listen, ultimately to seek or accomplish his will, notice the consistency. Prayer is where God basically is preparing us for the purpose that he has for us, right? He's molding us and shaping us a lot of times in these moments of prayer. That's what I hope that I want you to see. All right, so that's a little bit about prayer in and of itself, why we pray, maybe how to define it, just to put our heads around what prayer is and what it is not and how we do it and what we should say and that kind of thing. All right, so let's jump into why we're praying with one another. But I want to first go to a misconception or maybe misunderstanding might be a better word, a common misunderstanding when praying with one another, okay? This comes from Matthew 18, 19 through 20, and everyone who's been a Christian long enough at some point has been guilty of this one. Right here, starting with me. Okay, here it is. Ready? Here's a, a, maybe a misunderstanding that we need, want to correct here. All right. So Matthew 18, 19 through 20. Again, truly I tell you, Jesus is speaking, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Now, if you've been in a prayer uh, room or uh, a prayer time, you've heard people say this scripture verse, God, there are two or three, where just where two or three are gathered, there he is in the midst of them. He's there. He's here. And then whenever that statement is said, and even I, guilty as charged, have said that statement in culture, we've kind of adopted that statement in prayer times, it makes me always wonder, well, what happened to God if I just show up? Do you understand? It's like, well, maybe God's not there then. So does God only come when there's two? Well, thank God that there's two because if you didn't come, I'd be alone and God wouldn't have came either. He's like, this is pointless. No. All right, so I want to correct something with that. All right, the word agree is where we get the English word symphony from. Okay, it means to agree with one another, but I want you to think about like a musical. I want you to think about a symphony, an orchestra, coming together, playing an instrument, okay? In the context of Matthew 18, this is really important, the context has nothing to do with prayer, and context matters a lot. 
So when we use this statement in prayer time, I just want you to understand this. Whenever it's said, I want to just kind of help you understand something. I'm not saying never say God is with us. I'm not saying that, but I'm just helping you understand what's happening here. The whole chapter in this piece that's talking about church discipline. So let me help you understand what's being said here. Jesus is addressing church discipline. That if someone is going to be disciplined in church, there needs to be agreement between two or three. You know the scriptures, or maybe you've heard it read, where a few verses back, actually, in Matthew 18, Jesus speaks that if a person doesn't receive from someone first, to then grab someone with you and go with them to help correct them in their sin. So you go to the person, they don't listen to you, go grab another person, take them back over and say, hey, come on, we really want you to get out of that sin. This is becoming a struggle or, or an issue in your life, or whatever that discipline is. This is what's happening in the context of this. And so then Jesus says, of course, where two or three gather, there I am with them. So what's Jesus saying? Jesus is simply teaching that where two or three come together, take a matter to the Lord. That is to say, if I, if I take an elder with me and we gather together, then we find an agreement about what's particularly happening. Jesus saying, I am with that, I am in that. Then the, the elders or the people that are in the discipline or enforcing the discipline in the church can know that God is standing with them in agreement because they've come together in such a way that God has instructed them to come. How many of you right now had no idea what I'm talking about? You're like, whoa, I didn't know that. Amen. So you all understand church discipline. Perfect. It's time to enforce it. I, this is great. Okay, so first, uh, come on. No, I'm just joking. So, um, no, so it, this is helping really understand that ultimately Jesus is saying, I endorse the efforts of the two or three coming together. What I'm trying to help us understand that when we pray with one another, write this in your notes. This is the misconception I want you to write down. We pray with one another. When we pray with one another, here's the misconception. The misconception is, the misunderstanding might be better said, we pray with one another to get God to show up. That's ultimately what I wanted you to understand. That's not true. So don't, don't think that. That you have to have two or three. If you don't have two or three, God isn't there. Okay, that's not true. God is omnipresent. He is with us. He is in us. His spirit lives in the life of a believer. Look at Romans 8 verse 6. Paul writes in the same way, the spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for. How many of you have hope right now because Paul wrote that? <sighs> Let me pause with that again. Some of you are writing down. Look at look what Paul wrote. Paul, okay, the, have like writes half the New Testament says, there's so many times I didn't know what to pray for. I didn't know what to say. And then he says, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. There it is. Speaking with words and sometimes without words. I don't even know what to say here. But God is speaking through me to the Father. Like His spirit is speaking through me. So that means his spirit lives in us, and I just want you to see that when you don't have to have two or three in order to establish God's presence, God is already there, amen. God is with us, he is in us, so when we pray together, we don't, it's not to get God to show up, okay? I want to help make sure we're, we're clear on that. So I'm going to give you five reasons why we pray with one another. All right. Number one. We position ourselves in alignment to his word. Okay, what do I mean by that? That just means we are simply coming to an alignment. When we pray with one another, for one another, or with one another, you can use those interchangeably here today, we are simply coming into an alignment with what God's word teaches. It's the obvious reason, because God says to. Let me show you a couple of verses. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. 
I urge, Paul writes to Timothy, then first of all that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. So Paul writes Timothy. Timothy's a pastor of a church. Paul's advising Timothy to tell the church, I urge you, first of all, you need to pray. Pray, intercede. Thanksgiving be made for all the people. Prayers gotta come first in the house of the Lord. You must pray. Okay. Acts 1.14, when the church launches, Acts 1.14, it says, they all join together and they is who? Not just a group of pastors, not the prayer team. Some of you, you thought that, well, I, don't, I didn't join the prayer team, so I don't need to pray. That's the prayer team's responsibility. They pray. That, that team that shows up at 9 a.m. and prays for us, amen for them. Yeah. They're, they're covering me in prayer because they have the gift of prayer. Where is that? Anybody ever heard a gift of prayer? How many believe there's a spiritual gift of prayer? Don't put your hand up because you're wrong. There's... <laughs> Uh, there is no spiritual gift of prayer. Prayer is what? We talk about prayer is where we, where God is informing me, and He wants to inform all of us. He wants all of us to get in alignment with His will. So the church is praying in first in Acts one fourteen, and they all prayed together. Look how often they did it, constantly, joining in prayer with one another. Seeking God's will for their life, for the church, along with the women, amen, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Everybody's praying. So we position ourselves in alignment to his word. The reason we need to be a church that prays together is because God's word says to. Okay? Simple enough. That means if you think, no, no, no. And I know I'm speaking to uh, many people here. I, I believe it. I know it's true. Well, I don't pray out loud. How many of you have ever thought that you, you don't pray out loud? Come on, raise your hand. If, I'm going to bring you up on stage if you don't raise your hand. If your hand is down, that means you're completely comfortable praying up here right now. If you raise your hand, you're safe. Okay? That's what I'm trying to tell you. Okay. How many of you are terrified? Seriously, I really want to know this. Put your hands down. I really want to know this as your pastor. Please just tell me. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not here to embarrass you. I just want you to participate with me. How many of you are terrified to pray out loud around people who are believers? Raise your hand. Around other Christians. Raise your hand high. Raise your hand high. And keep it up for a second. Raise your hand. All right, look around the room. We're not picking you out. We're not, we're not embarrassing you. Raise your hand high. Come on. Okay, put your hand down. This message is for you. This message is for you. I want you to know that. And I want to encourage you today. Your prayers make a difference in the kingdom. And I, and I speak this in encouragement to you. I, I, I encourage you to reconsider and to allow God to use your mouth to speak. I'm going to give you a word of hope. You ready? If God can use a donkey, he can use you. And some of you who never read your Bible have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> but that is 100% scripture. 
Is that right, Ian? That's God used a donkey, right? If God can use a donkey, he can use you. You're a wonderful creation. If he can use a donkey. Some of you need to set yourself free. Say it. Say it. Come on, church. Let's, let's spur one another on. If God can use a donkey, he can surely use me. Amen. Some of you came here to hear that. I am not a donkey in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Number two, we position ourselves to hear. God uses other people. Now listen to me. The number one way that God will speak to you is through his word. I want you to know that. I believe that. That's biblical. That's true. He uses his word to speak. That is true. But God also uses other people to speak to us. So why do we pray with one another. One of the reasons we pray with one another as a church body is because God uses other people to speak to us. It's a positioning ourselves to hear. We're just putting ourselves in a position to align with his word and to hear what he has to say. Also with other people, okay? Uh, Proverbs fifteen twenty two: Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. All through scripture, you'll see the importance of seeking other people's wisdom, coming together in agreement, okay? Uh, look at 1 Corinthians 14, one through five. I'm gonna read through this fairly fast. Follow the, way of, uh, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy, okay? For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the spirit, but the one who prophecies speaks to people. For their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. We'll come back to that in a minute. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. This is not a sermon on tongues. Don't let the enemy take you there. Stick, stick to prophecy for just a second. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Whoa, that just got real. But I would rather have you prophecy. The one who prophecies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, some people have taught that this word prophecy means preaching, and it's not. This is not the same Greek word used for preaching. You say, okay, well, help me understand what prophecy is. Here's prophecy. I think I put it in your notes if I didn't. Prophecy is God speaking. Ultimately, it's God's, God speaking through people to people. When you look at the Old Testament, you see prophets of God, and they were there to speak on behalf of God. So God is speaking through them to people to people. He's using people to speak to people. Speaking supernaturally, but better said is naturally supernaturally, okay? And he's using people to speak to people. When he wrote his word, what did he do? He used people to speak to people. God uses people to speak to people. The reason why you should pray with one another is because you're positioning yourselves to hear what God is saying. Raise your hand if you have a prayer request to God. You would like to have a, a, one of your questions answered. Raise your hand. I love the participation. We are very much a, your right hand. If you get too tired, start using your left, okay? Okay, you, want, you have an answer. Okay, watch this. Are you putting yourself in all the right positions? In his word? and around other people. This is important because it's a way that he uses 
uh, people to speak to us and to help us understand what it is he's calling us to do or nudging us to do or whatever that may be. And I want you to also notice, if you go back to the verse, verse 3, go back to 1 Corinthians 14, if you would, because I want you to see this largely in a positive light, just, just so that if you ever have somebody say something to you, I feel like God is saying or, you know, prophesy something over you or say something to you, I want you to know how to know if it's from God or if it's not from God. And if it ain't from God, I don't want it. Amen? Okay, some of you want what's not from God. <laughs> Yes, give me Satan. Whatever Satan wants to tell me, I want to listen in. Did you hear what I'm saying to you? Okay, if it's not from God, you don't want it. Amen? Okay, we don't want weird things. All right, so look, how do you know if it's from God? Strengthening you, encouraging you, and comforting you. Oftentimes when you get a word from somebody that God is wanting to use a person to tell you something, it's largely comforting, encouraging, supporting, spurring on. Amen? Okay. Number three, we position ourselves to be healed. James chapter five, the brother of Jesus writes this, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. There it is. So that you may be healed. So I could preach a whole sermon, why, why should we pray with one another so you can be healed? But there's so many more reasons, so this is one of them, so that you can be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The word healed means to be made whole. So we're talking about physical healing and also spiritual healing. So let's unpack this. Does this mean this is a formula that for every time somebody comes and an elder of a church will pray hands or anoint you with oil, scripture what James would write about and come. But this is a formula for absolute 100% guaranteed healing physically and the answer is no. That's, it's not a formula for it, right? But there is a clear command, if you would, if I can use the word command a little loosely, but I'll say it, obedience to say, pray for one another so that you can be made whole, both physically at times, and spiritually at times. And he says, confess your sins to one another. Why does he say to confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed? James is simply reminding us that a mutual confession, notice it does not say, now you confess your sins to me. It's not what he said. Hey, come here, tell me all your sins, yeah. No, he says, confess your sins to one another. Now, why would he say to confess your sins to one another because mutual confession brings healing it brings wholeness how many of you love to hear someone else say me too i struggle with that too oh you too yeah we struggle with that too how many like to hear somebody else's struggle is the same struggle that you have yeah we, we enjoy that of course you battle that too yeah oh that was just me no and all of a sudden you know conversations can begin to happen. Confession can free us from heavy burdens, physical and spiritual, unresolved sins. Um, this is talking about a whole healing, not just physical. Real deep, genuine confession of sin has been a feature of every genuine awakening 
of revival in the past 250 years. We heard of the revival recently in Kentucky, right, going on that happened a couple of weeks back, a month or so back. Begins with a young man confessing. Powerful things happen when you have a group of people coming confessing their sins to one another. Not in an embarrassing way, but coming together. I heard a statement one time that we, we lead through our stinks, but we connect through our weaknesses. A spiritual, cohesive, a spiritual cohesiveness happens oftentimes when we weep together. When people cry together, they get broken together. They share their weaknesses with one another. God begins to do miraculous things. Number four, we position ourselves to be distributors of hope. Acts 12, one through four, it says it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother John, put to death by the sword. So Peter's in prison, by the way, here, and they just killed off the John, put him to death. So Peter's awaiting his death sentence. It says, when he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him into prison. So now Peter's in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out in public trial for the Passover. So here Peter is in prison. Now watch this. Remember, I just told you that when you pray together, you position yourselves not only to heal or to be healed, but to also bring hope. Watch this. So Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And I love the fact that the scripture says the ecclesia of the church was, the gathering of the believers. It wasn't the prayer team. It was the church. Begins to pray for Peter. And they begin to intercede, if you would, for him. And they pray for him. And watch what happens as a result of their praying. Watch this. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, in other words, kill him, Peter was sleeping. What? Did you catch that, church? Peter is in prison. John just got beheaded and killed. They're all murdered. Now, now here, my death sentence is tomorrow. I'm dying. How many of you would be asleep? None. Because you're going to die the next day. But Peter is sleeping. How could Peter be sleeping? Peter sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. The sentry stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and the light shone in the cell and he struck Peter on the side. Peter was such sound asleep like a baby. The angel didn't wake him up by his appearance, had to nudge him. Hey, get up, quick. He said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Thomas Watson said the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. What was the secret? I don't have time to go there, but if you can write this somewhere, John 21. John 21, John's letter, gospel, verse 21. Jesus had previously told Peter something very important. He told Peter how he was going to die. Remember, Peter and John and Jesus are talking in a conversation. Peter's there, and he says, 
Remember, this is, my, this is what gives me hope because I'm, I'm like Peter so much in my life. Goodness gracious. Um, but, but, but Peter and John are there and, and he's telling Peter how he's going to die. And, and Jesus tells Peter that he's going to die an old man. And he mentions some type of martyrdom that's going to happen to Peter. In other words, Peter, your death is going to happen when you're old, but it ain't going to be pretty. And I love Peter's response. Do you know it? Do you remember it? Anybody? He turns to Jesus and he says, well, what about him? <laughs> What's going to happen to that guy? To which Jesus doesn't answer. He actually says, what I do with him is none of your business. Why, why am I, listen to me. Remember, prayer is about aligning to God's will. Come on, listen, listen to this. So the church is praying when Peter's in prison, Peter's asleep. How's Peter sleeping? Ready? Because he'd been informed. He knew he wasn't going to die. God had already told him, you're going to die an old man. You want to be informed, and you want to live informed. So when hell comes at you, I cannot be shaken. God's already told me. And the church already knew. So what's the church doing? Coming to an agreement with his will. And when you come in agreement with his will, it will be done. Prayer is where we get informed about his will and speak his will so that his will occurs. That's why prayer is powerful and effective. But you got to know his will. And you get an agreement with his will and an agreement with one another. And God says, yes. And for some reason, this is how God decided. I do not know the fullness of this answer, why God elected to go this route and not just do it without us, but he involved humanity in the operation of his kingdom. Effective prayer must be fervent, not because we must emotionally persuade a reluctant God, but because we must gain God's heart by being fervent for the things he is fervent for. Love that quote. Sorry, I didn't put down the author of who that was, but it wasn't me. Um, number five, the final reason. Why do we pray with one another or for one another? And I think this could be argued. I'm not going to say the most important, but gosh, this is the one that anchors into my heart the most. We position ourselves to gain God's heart. The Paul writes the letter to the Galatian churches in the region, and he writes this. And this is my hope for you today as a church family. And as the pastor of this church, this is my hope that something would occur in us today. Um, this, this is, sometimes you preach a sermon, you teach on a, on a passage of scripture, and um, it's a lot of information, and, but it always should be applied in some way. This is the one today when I, when I preach this sermon, I really hope something changes and, and continues, not just changes, um, but, but continues or maybe increases, I guess is the right word. I'm trying to find the right word as a leader here to, to choose the right word. Increases. That would be the right word. I hope something increases in our church. I hope a comfort happens in our church and increasing, praying with one another. 
position ourselves to gain God's heart. Look at Galatians 6, 2. Powerful sentence. Goodness gracious. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. And you say, what does that have to do with praying? And I say to you, everything. The word carry in Greek here is to remove a heavy load. It's, it's, it's simply saying when you see a brother and sister in Christ and they're like obviously carrying something heavy or when you know they're going through something that's heavy, they've got a heavy load. Paul says to the churches in Galatia, he says, just remove a rock from their backpack. Share the weight with them. Come around them help them carry and walk through that particular thing that they're dealing with in their life. And when you do that, he says, you fulfill not the Torah. He says, you fulfill the law of Christ. You know what the law of Christ is? To love your neighbor as yourself. You want to fulfill the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, love your neighbor as yourself. The second one is like it, is what Jesus said. Watch this. Pray with one another. Carry the load. Pray for them. Carry the load. Come around them. Pray with them. Join arms with them. Prayer is powerful and effective. It's incredibly important for the church to pray with and for one another. Bottom line, when we pray for one another, we gain the heart of God for one another. Praying for others gets our focus off of ourselves and onto the needs of those around us. When we pray for one another, we gain the heart of God for one another. Amen. Prayer is so important. Praying for one another is so important. That's why I've said to you, you have that orange card in your little bag that says prayer on it. We want to be praying with you and for you. Um, I invited a few people down, uh, John or Shelly. If you come down. Uh, Kendra, if you're in the back, would you come up here for a second and just be great. Just a few of us down here. It's 11.15 and um, if, if Kendra's not there, that's fine, but we'll be down here. Um, if you need prayer today, we, we want to pray with you. And so we want to be a church that's like, we're okay to pray with one another. <laughs> you know? I mean, this is the house of the Lord. Amen. If you can't get prayed together in the house of the Lord, then Sometimes, but it just takes that little step of courage. I, I know what it's like to sit there and think my prayer is not that important. Mine's not that big of a deal, you know, or they, I'll write it and it's better. You miss the whole sermon then. There's an importance in praying with one another. And I get it. I get it. You say, well, I'll let somebody else go. If, if that's the th way you're thinking right now, you're the one that needs to run up here the fastest. And say, you know, I, I need to know I matter. I just want you to imagine yourself.
Come on. Imagine what kind of church it would look like if, if people could come freely open and say, honestly, I, I feel alone. I need a friend. And just confess it. Have someone else take that rock from your shoulders. Marriage is getting beat up left to right, and I don't know if we're going to make it. Can you pray with me on that? And then have somebody pray with you and allow God to come in and speak into your life. Watch this. What if God's word for you is in one of these two people right here, and he wants to use them today to speak something to you? You just position yourself to hear them. And if John starts making fun of you, it's not from the Lord, it's from the devil. So John is one of our elders here, but he's not going to, you know, encouraging, remember, right? If it's encouraging, comforting, who knows, right? You've got to position yourself, though. So if you leave out of here really fast, you're just not putting yourself in the position to hear what God's trying to say, and then you live uninformed. Do you hear my heart as your pastor in that way? I don't want you to leave uninformed. I want you to know what God's will is. That business decision you have to make, that financial decision you have to make, whatever it is, I want you to leave informed. What is God trying to communicate to me or trying to work out the purpose in my life or join with me in prayer for my son or my grandchild who doesn't know Christ still to this day? You never know what God can do. Amen? So when we invite you to, to leave today, we're going to be down front and we want to pray with you down front. We would love to pray with you today in this way. And you say, well, if somebody jumps up here and prays with him and prays with Shelly and prays with me, then just wait a few seconds. Hold on. <laughs> Ask God for patience while you wait, you know. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for your word. You've clearly laid out that your church was expected to pray for and with one another. And I pray that we would be that. I pray that we'd be people who are not afraid to get prayed with and pray for, Lord. But today, you need to be set free of just the fear of praying out loud with. I want to, I pray right now in the name of Christ that he'd give you courage and confidence to know that whenever he wants you to speak, he will give you the words to say. He can use anyone. And he has gifted you and equipped you with his spirit. The same spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead lives in you. So he can do it. Jesus.